it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Welcome to Stromash, the Scottish NFL podcast. This is episode 219. I'm back. Paul promised it wasn't a threat. Uh, busy week last week. Nerves were hitting me hard. Um, I bottled it and I decided not to come on until we'd beaten the Seahawks. But I'm back. I'm here with Paul Mitchell and an absolutely jubilant Jamie Borthwick. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. I've, I've no idea what it's like to win a playoff game. <laughs> Can't remember that far back. Um, so yeah. we we don't do a ball bag award anymore, but it's a special ball bag award for you, Cameron, for not backing your San Francisco 49ers in our pick six. You were the only one that managed to back the Seahawks. And I have to say, I, I fell asleep during the game. I was listening to it. And I heard the score in the next game. So I woke back up and it was on the next game. And I I wasn't sure. I actually thought I heard them say 49ers 21, Seahawks 23. And then I looked at our chat and you were you're not if you saw the defense is doing this. I thought they'd lost. It was only in the morning when I checked. I found out it was 41 23. Oh, what, what were you ever worried about? So it's funny, like I listened obviously to you guys talking about this last week. And you know, Gordon said he could see one of the divisional games not going the way of form. Now, actually, as we sit here, spoiler alert, every single one of them went to form. But it doesn't normally happen that way. It's very difficult to beat a team three times in a single season. We've talked about that before. It was one of those games that just has potential banana skin. You know, since we've added the seventh seed, so far no seventh seed has beaten uh, and progressed beyond the wild card round. Someone's got to do it first. Um, the Seattle Seahawks, play best when they are written off, when they're underdogs. Pete Carroll thrives on it. His entire ethos is, and I'll be chucked, abused by this, but it, it's like Ferguson and Aberdeen in the 80s. Like, they all hate us. They think we're rubbish. They want us to lose. Let's go stick it to them. And there's that kind of ethos around Seattle that makes them dangerous. Makes them dangerous at any given point. And that first half was difficult. Um, for me, and we talked about this uh, on our group chat, and I got shot down for it, but I was saying that the defense hadn't shown up. Um, and it felt like Seattle were able to very freely move the ball. It felt like their their drives were long. Um, they were clean. There wasn't a lot of negative plays. Fine, the first two were three and out, but that's early game nerves, right? That's It wasn't down to amazing defensive play or massive turnovers or anything like that. And it just felt like Gino was in his groove. Now, the the game changed at the half. Then there's no two ways about it for me. And what changed at the half more than anything else is the defense stepped up. And sure enough, the biggest thing, obviously, Purdy came out and did a great first drive to, to kick off the second half. But it was the defense started making plays, big turnovers as the Seahawks are marching down in the field. That was hugely significant. And that not the wind out of their sails. And I think that was the moment for me that that game flipped. And from there on in, it was kind of plain sailing. Now, um, I could say that in retrospect and fine, but I was nervous. I was very nervous. Even at the start of the fourth quarter and what have you, you know, I'm still anxious because I know that they're capable. DK Metcalf had himself a fantastic day um, and, and they look dangerous, right? So I felt that first half, my nerves beforehand were 
kind of justified. My nerves watching it were justified. We were losing at the half, down to absolute Bob Baggery with a stupid uh, penalty late on uh, and ultimately putting the Seahawks into field goal with matter of seconds left. But still, you know, this was a 9-8 Seahawks team that came into this game. They were no mugs. They were winning through the season. Geno Smith has had a great season. DK Metcalf had it, like I say, had himself a day. 136 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Geno Smith, 253 for two touchdowns, find one interception late on. They were playing well, simple as, and and they were dangerous. However, the Niners came through. If if you were nervous, then, you know, what on earth would you be in this for? It's (laughs) knockout football. I mean, of course you're going to be nervous. I thought Seattle were great when they were on script and they, they, they scripted all those drives really, really well. Of course, what happened was an exceptionally good defence then started mixing up, knocked them off their stride and they didn't have the answers to um, on the hoof. They weren't able to solve the problems that were getting thrown at them and um, that's the difference between a team that is in contention for a championship and a team that um, has uh, maybe played above their abilities has been more than the sum of their parts. And that's exactly what we saw on the field. I was worried as well because Dre Greenlaw picked up an injury. Uh, there was a few other players picked up knocks. I thought, oh, God, is it going to be one of these games that wipes everybody out? Um, thankfully, those guys came back. Diomedor uh, Lenore got targeted a lot and gave up a lot of plays. I was delighted for him to get that interception at the end. You know, that was kind of like the cherry on the cake of the, of the victory because he was the weak link in that secondary. Uh, and, you know, I heard last week Charles bemoan the fact, or bemoan, have a pop at me again for the fact that I said that 2024 was the season for me for the Niners. I still feel like that secondary is a problem. That secondary is not good enough, I think, to elevate us in a game where we're up against a really top offense. And the first half Seahawks proved that. The first half Seahawks were just lumping it down to DK Metcalf and he was on form. Um, There was actually one, uh, I think it was Ward, made a really good play in the second half to, to deny Metcalf another touchdown that had that gone the other way could have been a very different story and brought them back into it. But in the end, it was convincing. Uh, had Brandon Ayuk caught that one at the back of the end zone, it would have been an absolute doing. Um, uh, and we progressed. You know, Shanahan made some beautiful adjustments at the half. I thought some of the play calling was tremendous. McCaffrey, superb, 119 yards on the ground, 17 through the air and a touchdown. Debo Samuel, 133 and a touchdown. That touchdown as well was brilliant. And I thought it was summed up beautifully when they were talking about the superstar players that were making blocks. You know, Ayuk and Kittle are just getting stuck in. There's nobody that's expecting anything granted to them. This is a team effort. They pulled together. Um, I thought they were really good. I thought they were really, really good. Brock Purdy, 332 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, played a really good game. Didn't do anything fancy. I don't think there was a couple of throws were really tight. There was a couple he maybe got away with. Wasn't, he's not a sensational quarterback, but he's working well in that scheme at the moment. Um, we'll come on to where we go from here. But for this one, done and dusted, I thought it was pretty clinical. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to look at a team's Super Bowl credentials, you come out, Trailing at halftime, you get the ball, you take eight minutes off the clock, 13 plays, 75-yard drive. That's all business for me. And I think that you, you could see Seattle, the defence, couldn't hold them. Uh, it was very methodical. Um, and then you've got your explosive players as well. So I, I just I, I just thought that's where you won the game. Um, the scoreline doesn't surprise me. Uh, it was probably what I would have expected. Um 
and I think they've got they've got a great chance going forward. I think you're always you're always more worried when it's your own team because I think you see the gaps. You look at it a bit more closely. Um, I, I just see a team full of talent on there. And you talk about Brock Purdy. I mean, it just goes to show if you're a decent quarterback, if you can land in the right place at the right time uh, and take your chance. Now, not everybody, don't get me wrong, not everybody would be able to do what he's done. But he had a lot of experience in college. I think they've nursed them along beautifully. And I think as well as him personally, I think you've got to look at the coaching staff for the job they've done with him. I mean, I know we've been taking the mickey and saying future Hall of Famer and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> it, it, it's quite a remarkable job. You know, he's gone in there and it just goes to show in a sport that we all dearly love. If you are one of these top quarterbacks coming out of college, sometimes it's just where where you land. Nobody expected Mr. Irrelevant to be leading, you know, the way in the playoffs. Uh, good on him. It's a great, great story. And I think on the other side of the ball, I think we're going to tip our hat to Geno Smith as well. Because I think it would be the easiest thing in the world for the Seahawks to panic and go out and get someone else. Um, I think it's his team going forward next year. And I think they've got a chance to build around him. And I think it's a really positive thing for the Seahawks fans who are listening. I've got one one last thing to say on, on, on San Francisco. And, and Cam, I know that you take a lot of heat for your 2024 um, chatter. Uh, you know I'm not that guy. I think it's only, <laughs> I think it's only partially justified heat. Um, but the NFL, it's it, it's almost impossible to build a complete team, right? You sort out your secondary, it's going to be at this, the expense of a contract for someone on the offense. Your best chance at a Super Bowl is this year because they have one of the best rosters. Um, yeah. You, you, you can do it certain ways. The Rams did it by plugging in cheap veteran players chasing a ring and it worked for them. But then look what happened the year after. Um, I, I think don't, don't honestly don't look too far in the future. This is the year. This is their, this, this is their chance. This is it right now. It's, I think they definitely have a chance. Um, I, I don't know that it's a one and done though. Like if we don't win it this year, are we out the picture next year? I don't think there's enough significant pieces to be moving on just yet to make it such. Now, I mean, I say that. Obviously, this is based on Purdy doing pretty well. Um, if the bottom falls out of him and Trey Lance isn't that guy, then there's going to be a quarterback problem. Um, you know, Jimmy G actually had a very good season before he got injured. He was playing really well. There, there is a lot of very exciting players there, you know, at tight end, wide receiver, running back. You know, the offensive line is doing pretty well in most positions. De- defensively really strong. We might lose some of our coordinators. You're right. D'Amico Ryans might well go and get a, a job somewhere. Um, wouldn't be surprised. There's Look how many people have come out of San Francisco and gone into these jobs. But I still feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just, I, I my 2024 comment was based on Trey Lance being the guy, having next year to come back from injury and have a year where he maybe has a few wobbles and then the year after actually go on and start to thrive. But yeah, maybe this is our year. Maybe maybe this is our best chance when I say this is our year. But uh, you all know I'm back in the Cowboys. So because uh, that's how we go, let's, so let's move on. <laughs> Into what was an absolute stutter, incidentally, because that first game and the first half was really good, second half, very one-sided. Jesus Christ, look, it was a game of two halves. Um, in Jacksonville, where oh my god, like I, I, I thought this was just 
Typical Jack. Oh, bloody Jack. Yeah, New Jacksonville would do this. Oh, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. Oh, joke, joke, joke. Um, this is going to be a doing. And just, uh, for me, <laughs> weirdly, one of the best wild card playoff postseason games I've ever seen, I think. I have to say I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised in the slightest. We have seen this already this season, teams coming back from you know, terrific margins down. We've seen it in Super Bowls. I think what gets me is when you start to watch it and you wonder why, and it'll be interesting to get the guys' takes on this, the, the offence could do bugger all in the second half. They've done their job in the first half. Um, it wasn't the defensive staff that ended up getting fired. I mean, Joe Lombardi gets canned. The quarterback's coach gets canned as well. Probably quite right, uh, given what's gone on throughout the season. They've underperformed. But I would have thought the head coach, A, would have been in trouble, or B, they might have just wiped out the defensive staff as well. The the defense did have five turnovers, though. So, like, there is a little... I'm not not the biggest fan of Emmanuel Atchell, but he had a video today that I don't think he was entirely wrong on. And he kind of said... You know, yes, they gave up 50, uh, 31 points, but like they did also have five turnovers. So they set the offense up pretty well. Um, I, I, it's one of those things like it's just sometimes you get in a bad spot. Um, the, the thing that I don't like about Brandon Staley is that he's, he's clammed up. Like he was good at going for it when he should have gone for it. And they lost that game because the Jaguars went for it and they didn't. And for for some reason, it's not for some reason because this is my big bugbear of the week. No one's talking about the giant, the balls the Giants had at midfield to go for it late in the game. No one's talking about the Jaguars going for two and kicking a field goal. And we're not talking about those things because, oh look, people went for it and did the quote unquote analytics things and it worked. So when it works, it's not a talking point. <laughs> it's evening, Gordon. I, <laughs> yeah, by the way, Gordon's joined us. <laughs> Doug Peterson, I think, has been getting some praise. I've seen praise from him on social media. It was a ballsy play. It was a ballsy play for a coach with experience. And if you're going to make a case for Staley, my case is he has to learn from this. Um, And he's, the Chargers have, I feel, improved. He has learned, to your point, Gordon, he's maybe learned a little bit of negativity or cautiousness in his play that he needs to unlearn. But as I think because he got them to the postseason, I think you can sack the offensive coordinator and you can say, right, it wasn't going right for us on offense. We're leaning too heavily on the rush. There's questions need to be asked about that week 18 game against the Broncos and losing Mike Williams because you got Mike Williams in that game as a different, out, different outcome, I think. Um, but the defense did turn over Lawrence. Um the the Chargers just didn't come out after halftime and do anything. I wonder if they sat back and thought this game's done. But Jacksonville have got a bloody good habit of coming back from big deficits, right? And that's what you need. And especially, Jamie, we were talking about a knockout football, right? It's going to make anybody nervous. Anyone that's got a lead now over Jacksonville is going to be like, yeah, but do you know what? They've done this before. It's going to be in your mind. The, the thing that with their new offensive coordinator that they have to get right is, so Justin Herbert has one of the best arms in the NFL. Like he's got an absolute monster of an arm. If you ranked every quarterback 
that had 200 dropbacks, where do you think Justin Herbert ranks in average depth of target this season? Depth of target? Yes. Uh, yes. Point of reception? Basically, yeah. The point, whether it's caught or not, like the point where it would be caught. Mm, I think it's going to be a lot shorter than it's been because he used to push it down the field and it feels like now it's a little bit more dump pass. It's more about the 12 to 15 yards. He's almost the perfect example of the conversations we've had this season where the game has changed, where defences are playing in such a way that they're making you go. So I'm going to say he's bottom 10. You are correct. Um, 36 quarterbacks in the NFL had 200 or more dropbacks last year. Uh, Daniel Jones is the lowest average depth of target, which I think makes sense based on how they run their offense. Matt Ryan, which makes sense because he was pesh. And (laughs) Jimmy G, pretty low. And Justin Herbert next there. Uh, Yeah, Jimmy G's like ninth lowest, I think. Uh, they They just didn't push the ball downfield and they've got... Way too much talent for that to be the case. So whoever they get in, and it's that's definitely the most attractive um, offensive coordinator spot. Has that been though? Because Williams and Allen were injured so much through the season that you never really had both of them on the field. And really, other than those two, Gerald Everett's the only big target that you could rely on. And Everett's not getting down the field. So I, I wonder I think whether Josh Palmer's good as well, though. They've, yeah, they're, they're yeah. like third. I, I tell you, their third receiver would be one plus in Baltimore. And DeAndre Carter actually started the season pretty well. I, guys have come in and done well. I do wonder whether they get a slight pass through the season because they just didn't have all their pieces on the field really any time. And again, Mike Williams wasn't there in the postseason, which is just, for me, a big, massive loss. And Staley's got to take that one. That's on Staley. That's not on anybody else. He has to learn. I think he gets one more season, but he has to learn. They need to take another step forward or he's... Oot. Can, can I ask you the, the guys a question here? So if you look at it, they were down 27-0 in the second quarter. There was a fourth and two at their 36. Now he punted on that, which I think is the right play. That showed to me that he hadn't given up and they actually believed they could come back. But there was a bit of a clamour for him to go for it. At that stage, I just I think that's experienced coaching that he just still believed that his team had a lot of time to come back. Yeah, and I think Peterson Peterson's been in the trenches, right? You're you're talking Doug Peterson, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Peterson's been in the trenches. He knows that the game's a long game. Um, he's he himself has made mistakes. Like he had these great season in Philadelphia. Um, Obviously won a Super Bowl, what have you. It didn't go so well after that. There was the overhang of the Nick Sudfeld thing that was a stain at the end of what was a you know a good career in, in Philadelphia. He knows what he's doing. And again, it's where experience counts. We allow it from players. Players fuck up and have shit days and make mistakes and do things horribly. The head coaches are going to do the same. Like we've just been talking about Brock Purdy. How many times have you seen that clip recently of Brock Purdy at college just falling back and lobbing the ball up in the air and it goes behind them and I think it's against TCU and they run it in for a touchdown and they're like, this guy's playing great at the Niners. But do you know what, Brock Purdy, I'm not, we're not talking about him anymore, but he's learned. He was, he was good as a freshman, by the way. Like his, fresh, yeah. his true freshman year, everyone thought he was going to be really good. 
the, the, I can't believe we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to bring up a two year old argument. Charles Charles is currently sitting at home with his ears burning as me and Cameron argue about something again. Uh, the Nate Sudfeld thing. The the help that's given the Eagles now is that it got them a higher pick that they were then able to trade for future picks that they used and they used to build up this roster that yep. was the best in the NFL this year. Yeah, and he didn't get to do it because he nope. was the fall guy for it. So yeah. Ah, see, this is it. This is it. You gotta be careful which games you win and you lose. But yeah, listen, uh, you know, the Jags are in the mix. I will come on to whether they get much further, but what a great game. Thrilling. For anyone that managed to stay up and watch that, good on you. And you got served up a stoter. But, um, yeah. I think it's also good for the NFL because I think Jacksonville have been seen as a really struggling franchise for quite a long time. Um, you know, possibly, you know, would you move to London? All this sort of nonsense. I think this is a real good chance for them to embed themselves back properly in Jacksonville, make sure that there's full houses at that stadium and actually cut any of the, this nonsense about the Jacksonville Jaguars becoming the first London franchise. We don't They've also that. got, like, this season... This season's a bit of a free hit because yes. the other three teams in the AFC are definitely more favoured, they're further along in their progression, all that stuff. The next two seasons after this, the next two off-seasons for the Jaguars are huge because that's your rookie quarterback window. Yeah. And after that, you're going to have to pay Lawrence, have to pay everyone else. But go out, see if Odell Beckham wants to come and play for you next year. It doesn't have to be him. I'm just like, go out and make splashes in free agency with big name defensive players, all that stuff. They're getting um, Calvin Ridley. Yeah. He's a good player. They're, they're a good a good bet to win the AFC South again next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know where to go with this now. Yes, uh, the, the, the I heard your question last week, Paul, which was in the next you know percentage chance of the next five years that the Jags win the division and that they win a Super Bowl. And I think if you take that Super Bowl bet out of it. I think that it's a eighty percent chance as it stands right now. They've they're in the position to be able to control their own destiny there, because I think the other the other franchises have so much to catch up on, and some of them are going to take steps back before they take steps forward. Uh, when Derek Henry either leaves Tennessee or retires, what the hell is there in Tennessee? It's nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, you know the Texans are in a rebuild, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, and the Colts are just this perpetual QB graveyard. It's weird. So the Jags, 100%. Can they win a Super Bowl? Ah, it's so hard in that AFC. You know, they're for the next five years, they're going to have to beat Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes every single year for the next five years. So it's tough. It's very, very tough. Um, but Did you I say think... they've, they've got to beat Lamar Jackson? No. Oh, they no, might. He sure. might. He might. He well, could be traded. He could be traded to their division. Who knows? Well, that, that, was, that was going to be my question to Gordon. I mean, obviously the Bengals beat the Ravens. I don't think anybody was surprised by that. I think it was a good game, and I think the Ravens did pretty well, but it, has there been too much of a fuss made about Lamar Jackson not going to the game? Uh, yes, because um, like apparently so I, I, yes and no. Like 
I kind of hate any time anyone's like, ah, too much of a fuss has been made about this thing. And you're like, okay, he's a quarterback that won MVP a couple of years ago. Like, if he farts, it's a story. Like, people are like, oh, we're some sick fed up hearing about Tom Brady. Okay. Yeah, but is it, did he fart at home or did he travel to the stadium yeah. to watch his team and fart? But I think um, that's, that's the question. Well, you know, it's again, it's different for us because it's your team. How do you feel about him not being there? I, it doesn't bother me. Like, I, I, I think I, I, I was on this podcast what, two weeks after his injury. And I said, the point where I got very worried that we don't see Lamar Jackson again this year was when John Harbaugh said, oh, we think he'll be back for Christmas Eve. And at that point, I was like, shit, he might be out for the year because <laughs> it's the way the Ravens talk about injuries. I think they downplayed the injury the entire time. Like very early on, I was like, okay, he'll be back for the playoffs. And then last week, there was rumors that he was practicing. I was like, okay, good. And then very quickly, it was like, no. So... I think they knew pretty early on, but they just decided to force everyone they were playing to have to game plan at the start of the week for maybe Lamar Jackson's back this week. So, but I honestly don't know if he's there next year or not. Well, while we're on the Ravens, let's do the Sunday games in reverse order then. And let's just start there because the game, and again, I'm going to say this off all three games on the Sunday, all of them thrilling for you know, different reasons. All of them very, very close. Brilliant entertainment. Uh, again, I think other other than the second half of the Niners Seahawks and the entire Bucks Cowboys game, the whole lot was scintillating. Um, I think we've been served up. And I, I feel like this is often the case. I feel like the wild card round every year is actually really good. The divisionals end up being a bit of a disappointment. And then the championship games are good again. But Bengals Ravens. That fumble. I mean, if it wasn't for that fumble, the Ravens could well have won this. They could Joe, well have won this. Joe Burrow was not scoring another point against that defense. They and and this is you can look at um, so many stats. The three AFC North defenses are the best in the NFL against Joe Burrow. They're set up to defend against him. They're set up to stop him. The Ravens made life miserable for Burrow. Burrow might be the best passer in the NFL right now. And he had his throws in that game, but they just weren't able to consistently move the ball. If the Ravens score a touchdown there, I I, I think they win. Um and <laughs> I saw I saw a stat that the Ravens last two playoff losses against the Bills and the Bengals, they've outgained them in passing yards, rushing yards and something else. And people are like trying to do deep dives on this. And it really is as simple as in the Bills game, the Bills had a 101 yard interception return when the Ravens were going in for a touchdown. And in this game, the Bengals had a 98 yard fumble return. But there's there's a highlight of this, a, a replay of this clip, by the way. And I don't know if any of you play Madden, but if you've ever seen the Madden glitches where the ball bounces, that's what happened on this play. The ball, so Tyler Huntley's reaching and he shouldn't have been reaching. It should have been like a low thing, but fine, whatever. He's reaching over. Both guys knock it out his hand and it kind of glitches and just falls into Sam Hubbard's hands like as if he's magnetic. <laughs> just, it, maybe he is. It is maybe he is. How it just lands perfectly in his bed basket and off he goes. Just, and 
Like it's one Mark of the- Andrews. Mark Andrews got bloody close, by the way, and I was desperate. <laughs> I was just the whole way down that field. I was like, "This is killing all the DK Metcalf chat for the rest of our lives." And he didn't the, get him. The fastest he's uh, fastest he ran this season, I think it was, was on that play. So he was sprinting down to try and get. It's just, but that's look, that's. I, I can't. I can't even be better about it at this point because it's like that's the stuff that's why I really enjoy the sport. Like it, it's and and again, I was talking to a, a Ravens fan friend of mine the day after, and I'm like, God, you look at the last like the last couple of playoff losses they've had, and you know they've been in really close games, they fought really hard, and just brutally bad luck on like two key plays. And then he was like, Yeah, but in 2012 they got like Joe Flacco playing like prime Peyton Manning for four games, which like that was the best stretch in Joe Flacco's career. He wasn't a good enough quarterback the rest of his time, so. Just sometimes luck goes for you and against you. So I, it was a good game. They they fought really hard. The Bengals are a really good team. Yeah. I, I kind of yeah. hope I kind of hope that game is the start of the Ravens Bengals rivalry because it hadn't been up until that point. But there's a good opportunity for it to be a, a good proper rivalry. Um JK Dobbins not getting the ball much at all in the red zone. And Greg Roman, are you thinking it's time to move on or don't don't even need to decide it's time to move on. He is out of contract. He doesn't need to be fired. Look, he's the best offensive coordinator the Ravens have had in their team history by a, a country mile. He's the second best run designer in the NFL behind Shanahan. But you need to be able to develop a passing attack in today's NFL. And he can't. So yeah. it's time to go. Yeah. Anyone else got anything to add to that one? In reverse order, then, Mr. Borthwick, your time to shine. Um, ah. First of all, how much did you enjoy watching the game? Like, we talked about how nervous I was in the first half. We talked that Gordon came in with no expectations and, you know, enjoyed it for the game and the quality of the game. For you, you know, were you nervous coming into this? Were the expectations there because the Vikings were um, frauds, as Mr. Patterson would call them? Or... <laughs> Yeah, tell, uh, I, talk us through it. Yeah, I, I, I did expect the Giants to win. I did because having watched the previous trip there uh, in the regular season um, without a lot of starters and running them so close, what was it, 61-yard field goal as time went out, I thought, well, we've got Adora Jackson back to look after Justin Jefferson and having being able to watch the way that the Packers, the job that Jair Alexander did on Jefferson. Now, Jackson's not as good a corner. He's not as good a shutdown corner as Alexander. But it showed the, it showed the patterns. It shows the way that you press them. It shows that the, the way that you can shut them down. And other than their scripted opening drive, Jefferson was completely shut down. And you know that if you do that, then you beat the Vikings. That's the way it's gone all season. Um, and I just had utter faith in the fact that Dable and Wink Martindale would have would have just sat there and gone, yeah, we've we've got the formula here. What I probably didn't see coming was just how good the passing offense was. Now I know that they're 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 not a great um, <laughs> they're not a great pass defense at all, the Vikings, but the way that Jones sped it about. 
burned them with his legs and just completely offset them. And it, and it was kind of like what we what we spoke about what um, how the 49ers managed to knock the Seahawks off their stride, bringing a bit of chaos. And the Giants did that to the Vikings from the very start. It was nerve wracking, absolutely nerve wracking. I despised the fourth quarter. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, what a feeling, what a feeling. And just, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful to see Daniel Jones get praise and plaudits and not just from the guys inside the Giants anymore, but like across the league to have him be the headline, to have the, you know, people reeling off the stats um, from his game. Um, it's just, it's so satisfying to see what he's been able to become down the stretch. How much further can you go this year? Not creeping too much into the next game chat because we'll go to that. It's like, is this is this now just we're playing on giddy air and uh, excitement, or is there more like, right, let's go on, let's let's do the next one? I think the quality of coaching and what they're getting out of these guys. Um, I, I don't have any fear, and they'll have to go through the two best teams in the conference if they're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl I think on their day they can do it Um, I think how close they ran the Eagles with their second and third string Um, I think Brian Dable is going to really really enjoy this week and the way that he's going to scheme to go back there with his his top guys I think think he's going to love that and he'll be looking at the the fact that the Eagles are only what two and two down the last four, um, and I, I think there's, there's something like a minus minus ten, minus five point differential to those games. The Eagles are not they're not in the prime that they were when they came to MetLife and, and blew the Giants away. They're they're not got their swagger since um, Jalen Hurts had to miss some games, and yeah, it's it, it's a free hit, but it's also a massive chance just to show um, what they have done in the space of a year there. I I think as well, like of the four teams that are left, I think at worst the Giants have got the second best coach in the NFC. Shanahan probably gets the edge on longevity for him, but like Dayball's, the, the, the Daniel Jones thing is going to be really interesting because it's not dissimilar from what Shanahan's done with quarterbacks in the sense that I, you know, if if you said Daniel Jones is the 20th best quarterback in the NFL, that might that might be fair. But Dayball's getting the most out of him that you can maybe get top 15 production. If they could get a quarterback who was top 10, like that, they might be the best team in the NFC. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do beyond. But I, like you've not enjoyed much playoff success at all in many a year. So like that's very much, I imagine most Giants fans are very much just enjoying the ride and whatever happens, happens. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just great to see them out up there again, you know, and getting a playoff win. And it just, it just lets you dream. It lets you run away with yourself a little bit. I probably am already, but you know, I'm already going right. How, do I uh, save my sleep hours in order to be up at 1am? 
And we've got two Scotsmen in the divisional now round as well, which is all for that. Let's celebrate it. We've only had three. We'll take two. Only one. Only one of them from our road. <laughs> uh, but the got to be careful. <laughs> we need a word about Minnesota as well, of course. I mean, everybody thought they were frauds because they won what they were eleven and zero in one score games. They were behind a couple of times against the Giants and came back. I think that goes in their favour. Um, Kirk Cousins had one of the best games he's had all season. If you look at his completions and his percentages, I don't think you hang it on him. Um, I think Kevin O'Connell said it was the third and eight that disappointed them. They thought they had the chance on that. Uh, they've used the underneath route, if you like, um, to great success this season. Personally, as a call, I don't like it. Not when you, you know, the game's on the line. To me, you've got to go beyond. But, you know, and people are, you know, giving Kirk Cousins a hard time for a play that's worked previously. Um, you shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't give Kirk Cousins a hard, like, Kirk Cousins is who he is. Like to the Daniel Jones point I just made, Kirk yeah. Cousins is probably a 15th, 13th to 15th, 12th to 15th best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. It's just the odds on you getting top five play out of him is really rare. Yeah. So you're going to need to rely on luck to go win a Super Bowl. And the Vikings over the last five plus years decided that's that's the route they wanted to go. And it like he's just not... It's really tough to see how that Vikings team wins a Super Bowl outside of anything other than like the Ravens' 2012 path, where your quarterback goes on a run. The the Giants' previous Super Bowls, Eli Manning, where he goes on a run. Like, but and it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But there's a reason why some of the other teams are going to be consistently playing for Super Bowls or conference championships. They're benefiting dependent on the on on the offense because the defense was letting the Giants hold the ball for eight, nine, ten minutes. Yep. And the only thing I, I, I don't think that they used Dalvin Cook enough. Um, you know, they could have worked the clock and they could have got the the the, the Giants leaning more into run defense because they knew that they, had, they would they, they would have Jefferson, and then when Jefferson got shut down, they used Hawkinson really well. But then the Giants also adapted to that, and then managed to stop Hawkinson. Um, but the the defense couldn't stop anything, and they haven't really been able to stop anything all year. So Cousins is not the reason why they're out. Um, it's uh, the personnel and probably their coordinator um, on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, as we're recording this, I mean, it's it's on the telly at the moment, the highlights from the game. And the throws that Daniel Jones is making, he's under a little bit of pressure, but not much. But, I mean, at times he had two, three guys open. You know, he had his pick. Um, and just some of the... When, you know, I think they should get Owen Farrell over there because he's going to tackle school, apparently. And you could probably <laughs> teach these guys... You know, I, I'd send all these guys to tackle school as well. Um, because some of the tackling was appalling. Two things. Hodgins has been an unbelievable pickup from the Bills um, at wide receiver. And back on Cousins, Cousins was under pressure all the time and he made some amazing throws, you know, as he was being hit. So it's a, that's another that's another in the post call for Cousins. It, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't it, Dexter Lawrence is... People are not talking about how good Dexter Lawrence has been this season anywhere near enough. Like, I think... 
he's right up there with Chris Jones, with Aaron Donald as maybe the best defensive tackle in the NFL right now. He's a monster this year. Yeah, I mean, he was the NFLPA All Pro nose tackle, wasn't he? I mean, yep. the you know the guys he's up against, they know he's yeah, he's he's a monster. He has been absolutely unbelievable, and the leap that he's taken this year as well has just been incredible. I thought I said a lot about the Giants' secondary. I thought Dory Jackson, Xavier McKinney both played really well. TJ Hawkinson was the main target. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen were shut down for the most part of this. Why was Hawkinson the target? Because he's bigger against that secondary that was actually noising up. Um, he They had to go big. They had to go through him because it was the only option. They were, they were bullying on defense. Uh, and I think that's what put them off their game. The, you're right, the Vikings have leaned so heavily on offense. You look at the games again, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson's last three games, his stat line's been trash um considering the three games he had before that shutting him down out of that changes so much of what the vikings can do because it's when jefferson is getting the freedom in the space that's when they can lean on cook and all the other options because they know that jefferson's getting attention if justin jefferson's not drawing that then actually it's it seems like teams can find ways to quite easily shut the other options down and i thought the giants played it perfectly absolutely perfectly uh, we'll move on to the penultimate game we'll talk about written off by y'all last week this Dolphins have no chance with Skylar Thompson Paul the, does the stat line and the scoreline lie did the Dolphins have no chance does this are they flattering to deceive or was this a game okay. and if it was a game no, what the hell happened I'll tell you if, if your quarterback goes into a playoff game and goes 18 of 45 for 220 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. You feel you ain't winning that game. I mean, let's be <laughs> but honest. But they almost did. Well, they almost I know. did. Like and, they didn't, but... I, you know, <laughs> I think you've got to give great credit to the way that the Dolphins played. 17 points down in a playoff game, and they come back. You know, that in itself is is highly impressive. My, my biggest problem with the Dolphins this year, and I think a lot of Dolphins fans are rightly proud of how they played, against Buffalo, no one gave him a chance, third string quarterback, you name it. I think you've got to rewind and ask the questions over the last five, six weeks why they weren't playing like that before, which might have helped their seeding, etc., etc. I mean, my my biggest question with the Dolphins is probably why they mismanaged the tour situation about 18 different times. But other than that, I think you're probably... Well, I I, I was taking that one as red, shall we say. Um, And it's interesting. I mean, I think we'll get a chance, you know, once the Super Bowl's over, we'll we'll have a... We're going to pick sort of four or five teams and have a real drill down into the season. And I think Miami is one of these fascinating teams. It's, you know, so good, so bad. And then, you know, you end on a high. I remember, and it's slightly different, I remember reading the footballer Clark Carlisle's book and he talked about, you know, if you play in, you know, the championship or league one in England and his example was, you know, the, their team had been middling all season, finished 10th, not going to threaten going up, not going to threaten going down. He says, and you're watching guys who escape relegation on the last day of the season and the chairman pays for them to go on holiday for a week. You know, because everybody thinks, oh, it's been successful. We stayed up. And I think that that's a, there's a little bit of Miami about that, that they're getting an awful lot of credit for how they played against the Bills. But I think that masks a lot of the, the issues that they've had this season. And I think, yeah, I think you're rightly, if you're a, you're a Miami fan, you're really happy with what, what they did. And they almost took Buffalo out. You know, odd bounce to the ball, a madding glitch away from, from putting out a really talented team. 
Um, and I guess they're a bit like the Jags. I think the next year or two is going to be really interesting for Miami. The, the, the thing with that game is that the reason why the Bills won and the reason why they almost lost is probably the same player. It's Josh Allen. Mm. He's been careless as anything with the ball this year. Um, and it re- like very nearly came back to bite them this year. But he also has a monster arm, makes a ton of plays, makes a ton of plays in, in and out of the pocket and all that stuff. But if you're a Bills fan, knowing that you're going up against Joe Burrow, like if he if he has the same type of turnovers this week, the Bengals will beat them by 15 to 20 points. I don't yeah. think they will because I think there's an element of it was divisional game and playing down to your opponent and all that stuff. But like they, he can't have a fumble return for a touchdown. This this week, or they're in serious trouble. Yeah, I do wonder if, if Josh Allen is the biggest danger to the Bills not getting there. If he has too many of his in-game dips, um, I'm I'm generally leaning towards the Bengals in that game because having seen and and because it, it wasn't just against Miami that Josh Allen has been careless. He's been careless down the last few weeks. It's not gone away. Um, and the rest of that roster is just ready to power through, and they need they need him to absolutely screw it and able to in order to actually do it. We um we track so at PFF we track things called big time throws and turnover worthy plays. Big time throws are like big passes downfield, even if they wind up getting dropped, like stuff like that. It's not not quite like a true touchdown type of thing, but it's kind of like a true big play type of thing. And turnover worthy plays are all your interceptions as long as they were your fault plus anything that should have been intercepted and fumbles. And Josh Allen leads the NFL by 16 in big time throws. Sorry, 15. And he leads the NFL in turnover where they plays as well. Wow. He's, he's absolutely both ends of the spectrum. Um, I thought a big contributing factor, and I don't know if it was the Dolphins defense or if it was the playbook because they don't want to risk him. But the, the lack of Josh Allen rushing yards, I thought, said an awful lot here. Like, four carries for 20 yards, I felt like you stop Allen from running the ball, and he's going to have to throw. And when he has to throw, then he's prone to making those stupid mistakes. And I think that you take that away. And I'll be honest, like, if I'm the Eagles, I'm doing the same thing to Daniel Jones, right? If you make Daniel Jones have to throw the ball every time, then Daniel Jones is going to make mistakes. What's great at the moment is that actually that offensive line is schemed up in such a way that Daniel Jones can go and run. And it's the weirdest, it's the quickest, slowest movement I've seen still in a quarterback. Uh, I <laughs> every time it amazes me, like like lumbering down the field. Um I, I think that, that that's what the Dolphins did. The Dolphins defense did great. I other than Allen, I thought the Bills defense was really disappointing. Uh, and actually against Burrow, and if they get beyond that against even Trevor Lawrence, they're gonna have to do better. Um, they're going to have to do better and they're going to have to chip in and come up with some big plays. Now, yes, they turned over Skylar Thompson, but Jesus Christ, um, like this is a poor quarterback you're up against here. He's a third stringer. And the only thing that maybe surprised me was, and I guess he must have been ready, but Teddy Bridgewater, I might have brought Bridgewater into that game and seen what he had. Um, I have expected to see him at one point because I think he could have offered more. They they didn't want to risk him, which which was slightly bizarre. I was listening to the radio coverage coming home from work, 
on Sunday, they were talking about, you know, he, he was listed because he had a problem with his pinky finger, um, so he couldn't start. But as the guy said, you know, Thompson gets taken out on play number one. He he was the number two. He was coming in. So what what's, what's the big difference? I just wonder as well, and, you know, professional sports people do what they have to do to win. I'm not saying that the Bills believed their own hype and didn't think it would be a difficult game. I'm sure they did, but just something subconsciously, you know, might have just been holding something back in reserve, um, thinking this would be easier than it would be. And they almost got, they almost got caught out with it. Um, but it was, it was another really interesting game. And after five games, there was always going to be one that didn't, didn't deliver. And I think that happened. Uh, on on Monday, we've got yeah one more game to go, and let's have we have to talk about that. Um, is that the last time we see Tom Brady? No, he'll be back somewhere. Yeah, and I would he's... just like to point out that my kicking at uh, Texas Stadium has been every bit as good as the boy Myers this season. <laughs> okay, you, you need you need to be very 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 careful there was a few years ago that katie nolan at espn did a series whereby she tracked down people who claimed that they could do simple sports things that other people did and there was a guy there was a guy who said something like well i can go one out of four on extra point i could go one out of four on extra points because a college player had missed four so she tracked him down they put it on espn and he didn't make a single one so be careful what you wish for I'm not wishing to get accosted by your ESPN camera crew, um, but I've never seen a kicker struggle like that before, and obviously it's taken a lot of the headlines, and, and I felt sorry for him in the fact that, see, if the game had been really tight and really close, we'd have been talking about the game. I think mm. because the game got away from uh, everybody, it, it kind of just highlighted the misery of the poor kicker. And, you know, I think the Bucks. I mean, Brady showed on a couple of drives. He's more than capable of still playing. You know, I don't think the loss was on Brady. I think we've got to remember they were an eight and nine team. They really divisional winners, the worst divisional winners in a long time. And the Cowboys had more talent. I don't think anybody was particularly surprised. And the only reason that I think people were backing. Uh, the Bucks was because of the Brady legacy stuff. It didn't really make a great deal of sense. The the Cowboys are... I can't believe I'm saying this. It makes me a little bit sick. Uh, I can feel it in the back of my throat. I think the Cowboys are the most underrated and least talked about good team in the NFL this season. Um, I think if you look at what they've done... You know, and look at their backfield, Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott. They've got Dak Prescott in there who can run, who's playing a really good season. It's not perfect. They've had some stinkers, right? But they are playing really well. Dalton Schultz, I thought, was absolutely tremendous. Um, and th- that was big-time play. CD Lamb has actually done a pretty decent job of stepping up into that wide receiver one role. Michael Gallup chipped in, obviously. They've got T.Y. Hilton, who's getting back into a groove. Noah Brown's obviously chipped in with a lot. I, this, this is a good roster, and we've not even talked about their defense, which is very strong. Um, you know, Micah Parsons is one of the best players in the in the NFL this season. Um, okay, I'm call, I'm calling a timeout on this. I know where you're going with this, and you're so transparent. It's unbelievable. Who the hell do the Cowboys play next? The 49ers. Who's we're not talking about next up? week? No, we're not no, talking no, no, week. no. You're 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 talking them up already. I'm calling bullshit Let, on this. You're I genuinely... right. If you don't think the Cowboys aren't talked about enough, you don't know enough 
Cowboys fan. I've just or, muted most of them. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you what, though, they've got a. It's a very good team. They've got. I think they're better than the Eagles. So uh, just saying that. I, if if you pick against the 49ers with the extra two days near enough rest that the 49ers have over them this week, suspect. It's, so it's not suspect. It, it is. Let's move. Let, let's go. Let's talk about this game. So I have to say, it, it's interesting because what Jamie just said, I mean, they, they make a fuss about anything, the Cowboys. The headline I saw uh, on a story I read today was Jerry Jones reacts to scheduling. And you're obviously thinking just what you said. There's a two day difference between them. You know, the extra rest. And if you actually read it, Jerry Jones has gone. Yeah, that happens sometimes. It's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you get the headline. Had him, you know, you almost had him thinking he, you know, he's taking a knife to Roger Goodell's office. You know, it's just they, they are overhyped. I think this is a fascinating game, uh, 49ers Cowboys. And let's start with that game and let's see where you think it's gonna go. I mean, Cameron, you're obviously gonna pick the Cowboys in the in the pick six, pick four, wherever we've got left, because that that's just what you do. But do you genuinely think the 49ers can lose at home to the Cowboys? Oh, abs- of course. Of course. Knockout. Knockout. Anyone can beat anybody. Anybody can beat anybody. Uh, the, the Dolphins could have beaten the Bills. I had them pretty much written off, but they could have done it. The The Ravens could have beaten the Bengals, absolutely, with a backup quarterback that nearly bloody did. The, the Seahawks stuck it to us in the first half. I think that this is the First, for me, like, where am I down on the Niners? The Niners have not played a truly difficult game since Brock Purdy has come in. This is the first one that it's actually against a very good defense. And I think that if they can get that defense on them early, I think that that sets a tone that we may struggle to come back from. And I think that what was impressive about the Cowboys against the Bucks was how quickly they just got into the groove. You know, they were just straight in it from the off. Um of course we can lose. Uh, there's, and of course I'll be backing against us because that's what I expect because I'm a pessimist. So can we win? Of course we can. Of course we can. Um, if Shanahan gets his way and things come out rosy, great. We've got a great chance. But um, I can see how the Dallas defense get, get gets a party, gets the rest of them. But I think it will come down to Dak and Dak looked good last night. Um <laughs> And but it'll come down to whether Dak has one of these what we've mentioned before has a Flacco or an Eli stretch, right? And it, and and if he does, and he and he and he showed that he's very much capable of it um, in Tampa. If if he does, then he can he can go to work on the on on the Forty Nine ers secondary. That's going to be probably more important than what the defense is able to do. Um, to the to, to, to party because they've got to get through a really really good offensive line. I think it's it's going to come down to the better defense is going to win the game next week than the offense. It's definitely whichever defense is much more disruptive is going to have the the much greater impact. Um, and and can the Cowboys win? Of course they can. There's some great players. You know, Michael Parsons has had a great season. Uh, Van der Esk has been playing very well as well. There's there's that's good your, players. That, that's Van der Esch. Esch. That's Van der Esch. Esk. Esch. 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 There's a C. Um, but I have to do one every week. It's sponsored by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What's what's the? And they find out what instead of Duolingo, like whatever no lingo is. <laughs> Sponsored by the Edinburgh Language School for English as yeah. a second language. That's what it Na- is. Nailingo. Nailingo, um, there you go. <laughs> there, listen, there's good players in there. Diggs, uh, Dante Farley Jr. is a good player. Um, uh, it's it's going to be a, a really interesting game. I, I think it's, in fact, it's funny that this. That if you look at the, the four games that we've got, the spread decreases with each game. Uh, and this has got the short spread of the whole lot. Uh, opens at 3.5 in favour for the Niners at the moment. I could go either way. That's a field goal difference. Ja- I could Jamie, go either way. Jamie and you have probably talked me into picking the Cowboys in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, I, and I know it's being called out as being Bob Agri on my part. I genuinely isn't. I think because the Eagles have been so hot and for so long this season we've talked about Philadelphia, they are Super Bowl ready. And let's be, this is the thing as well. The NFC is trash. Right, the Vikings are in there and have done so well because the NFC is rotten. It's there's not a lot of talent in this conference at the moment. There is a couple of really good teams, and absolutely the top three are the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Niners. Right, that for me they're the top three, and I think it's right that they're in the divisionals. And I think the Giants have done brilliantly. And um, the fact that there's three teams from the NFC East, there's loads of people like puffing their chest, you know, NF- NFC beast. You know, oh, it's the NFC beast now. Um, but it's mostly down to the fact that the rest of the NFC is just shite. Um, you know, so many teams just rotten. All the contenders, any contenders, just nothing from them. So stop me saying NFC beast to people and get on the bus. I am <laughs> NFC beast at the driver. <laughs> Go in and get my shop in. Shout NFC beast. Single to the NFC was, beast, please, driver. It's just one of those automatic tills, and I just shout it. <laughs> That's uh, no, the, I couldn't care less that the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys are good. Get out of here. I was going to reply to Lauren Callahan to reply into our tweet when he was like, "Oh, the NFC least the NFC beast." Oh, did he say it? See, I've not even picked up on that. I think, right, I think yeah, Lauren, saying, you're I, part I, of the problem. I wasn't, I wasn't subtweeting uh, uh, um, Lauren there. I, I genuinely wasn't. Uh, I, I, I still like as much. I, I get, I get it, but like, I, I would refuse to celebrate with my fellow divisional. <laughs> but it's a bit, it's a bit kind of NFC East friends. Yeah. It's, a bit, it's a bit hashtag rugby values, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Let's. So we're going backwards. We're going backwards uh, as ever. Cowboys. People have been saying that for years. Right. Anyway, yep. sorry. Uh, that's going to be tasty. That's the second game on Sunday. The Bills Bengals is the CBS game of the weekend. So it'll be Tony Romo and Jim Nance calling that one. Oh, wonderful! I cannot cannot wait to hear Tony Romo notice a flag downfield in the secondary pause for a couple of seconds ago oh, I think it might be defensive holding this is immediately <laughs> elevated this to game of the week for me I cannot wait to hear uh, Tony Romo predict the future uh, at least on every 10 seconds point. after it's happened yes <laughs> and the game itself <laughs> I, I don't it's... understand why the Bills are five point favourites in this game uh, like I, I don't I don't understand why the Bills are five point favourites. No, I I mean I think the, the Bengals are coming into this hot and the Bills have got a couple of things to sort out. Um no, no, I I, I lean to the Bengals in this. I, I I think they've just got that big old momentum right behind them going into this one. I think it comes down to what we said earlier. 
um, what's Josh Allen going to do? You know, the big plays, the big mistakes, you know, you know, it, isn't it said, you know, that, you know, people learn how to protect the ball. They walk around with it, college and all this sort of stuff, you know, and does he need to be doing that again this week, holding on to the ball? Because he just, there's, there's certain, certain of his decision making has been dodgy. And I think it all comes down to him. I think the Bengals will play in a fairly decent, decent way as ever. I don't think the weather will be massively bad. I mean, Sunday, cloudy, snow likely in the afternoon, temperature steady. I mean, I think I've seen worse in Buffalo, so I'm not sure that that's... What, like three weeks ago when they had the the cyclone bomb or whatever the hell? I've seen seen worse than that. Yeah, Yeah, so I I don't think there's going to be a particular problem. (laughs) Uh, You know, Um, but when they they have played, I don't think it's... Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it just be right, given the whole nonsense that's gone on about the... um, Not nonsense, that's another thing, but the way that this played out with the home field advantage in the postseason, that this game ends up getting moved because of the weather and is played at a neutral venue. So, you know, Bills, um, Bengals, neutral venue, and then whoever wins goes on to play the Chiefs at neutral venue as well. That would just be right, right? Play them both in Detroit. Atlanta. Well, Let's play them both in Atlanta. <laughs> hey, who, who doesn't want to go to Atlanta? Right. Let's get Jamie's thought. Eagles against the Giants, which I think is going to be a cracker. And I don't know if you offered me the chance to watch any of the four games. I, I think that's the one I'd want to see. I dare to dream. Um, on defense, I think it's one thing stopping one superstar wide out. Um, and one very good tight end, as they did uh, against the Vikings. Can they stop um, Brown, Smith, Goddard? And then even when you start to go down, guys like Watkins, can they stop them all at once? Can they stop Hurts when he's actually going to be using his legs because they completely held him in check in that uh, Week 18 game, even though it was the the second string um, Giants who were out there? Can they do all of those things? Um, I think I think they think they probably can. I think they're going to give it a really good crack, but as hard as they play, as well as they're coached, as well as Wing Martindale and, and, and Mike Kafka are scheming things on either side of the ball, can you really suppress talent like Philadelphia have over full 60 minutes? And I... As much as you tot up all the positives in the Giants' favour, the head says it's going to be tough to do that for an entire game. It's yeah. stopping it's stopping Hurts running. It's the same as Josh Allen. And it's the same as what we're talking about with Daniel Jones. And I think you're bang right. If you can stop that and you force him to throw, then we know he's capable, but he will want to take to his legs. Uh, and when he gets uncomfortable throwing the ball, we've seen him make mistakes. Um uh, we saw the game against the Saints. I mean, that was just rotten. But in fact, was that Hearts or was that Minshew? I'm now forgetting who I was, was Minshew. Yeah, yeah, I mean, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, moot point. Moot point. That's fine. I, I just can't pronunciate Hearts. It comes out as Minshew. That's how bad I am yeah. at no lingo. <laughs> uh, well, that, I, that, I think that you've game... got. On you go. No, I was just going to say that game will be called by Joe Davis and Daryl Johnson with the exception of Gordon's household where I've set up a Zoom call with Tony Romo 
Gordon just to, just to cover the game. I don't. So. I don't need. I don't need someone to uh, play in Tony Romo. Just I'll watch it on mute, and ten seconds <laughs> after the play, I'll go. Oh, I think there's a flag here. Oh, this could be this. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm going to so, use that as my ringtone. I think that's brilliant. Good. Well, it's better than the ringtone they had in the BBC earlier. So. Oh, by the way. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry. I got very off track there. The point I was going to make is I think you've got the uh, way to slow down offense is the wrong way around on that, Cameron. I think it's a far more important thing for the Eagles to stop the throw. No, to stop Jalen Hurts, uh, stop Daniel Jones running. If Daniel I, Jones okay. is a huge problem as a runner this year, and if he runs for 80 yards, I think the Giants have got a really good chance to win that game because it's long drives that keeps the Eagles' offense off the field. Jalen Hurts, I, I don't think, has been as efficient as a runner this year as he was in the past. Like I think he's he's good at it, but there's games where he has a lot of runs that don't go very far because he doesn't have the same burst that... In fact, I actually don't think he has the same burst that Daniel Jones has. I was going to say he doesn't have the same burst that Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields does, but I think we underrate um, like the initial burst that Daniel Jones has. And with Jalen Hurts, I, I think he's been good as a passer this year, but I think it more comes down to the receivers they have. You know, like he has he has two guys that he can throw the ball up for when things don't go well. I think the Eagles want to force the Giants to pass in this game. Feels when it comes to Jones, a more elusive like Jones, when he gets outside and when he, he makes these these outside runs, is far too fast for any any defensive end or even any outside linebacker to get to him. Yep, it's going to be a fascinating game. The Chiefs Jags. Now that this could be our equivalent of Bills Dolphins, that we write this one off. Um, I think this is a free hit for the Jags, and I think Doug Peterson. Is probably the the last coach you want to see coming in to your stadium with a decent team and a and an attitude that says, "Tell you what, we're going for this." I don't think the Jags deserve to be written off as much as the Dolphins were, but I agree that I think it's a free hit and they've got nothing to lose. Um, this, I don't know why this has some kind of feel. Um, of the Jacksonville 2017 run where they just were doing stuff. Like that's the most shit analysis I think I've ever given. But <laughs> they're just they're just Danny Murphy's been done. on the phone asking if you could talk him through that. <laughs> they're just just they're getting stuff done. They're just grinding it. They're grinding it out, right? It's, there's a character there. There's a determination. There's a wise head in Peterson, like we talked about. And there is an exciting quarterback who we were all told was going to be a great, and we're starting to see what he's capable of. His receiving core is nothing special, and they are turning up. Travis Etienne is turning up again. You know, they got rid of Robinson, and I'm not having a mispronunciation on Etienne. That's how it's said. Um, I can see your face, McGinnis. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, they're just... Getting stuff done and see against the Chiefs, it's what you need. You need to just grind it out against them, no matter how the Chiefs play. 
You're going to beat them. You're going to beat them by grinding it out. And actually, I think right now, the team that are best at doing that right now in the division, in this whole setup, in this whole postseason that's left, Jacksonville Jaguars. So, do you know what? I look forward to this. This will whet the appetite um, for the divisional rounds um, and it will set the tone. And I hope for a great game. And I look forward to Jacksonville making it tougher than anyone expects. And I look forward to seeing uh, Dante Hall watch his Kansas City Chiefs uh, Championship Sunday. Fair enough. I I just think the if the Jaguars the Jaguars if they get in a twenty seven nothing hole will not get close to winning this game. But I don't think they're going to. Like that was a pretty outrageous set of circumstances. As much as there was a bad Trevor Lawrence throw in there, there was also tipped interceptions, all that stuff. So I don't think they fall in a twenty seven nothing hole. And if they're 14 points down with eight minutes to go, I think they're more than capable of coming back. I don't, the Chiefs' defense isn't that good. Um, like Chris Jones can wreck the game plan for them. Outside of that, I don't know that they're really good enough to slow down the Jaguars' offense that much. So I, I think this, I think this is a good candidate for like 65 points, being like a 35, 31 something scoreline. I'd settle for that. That would be quite tasty. Um, and we're all at fault here because none of us can say Jaguars properly. Um, so we, we all get well, a, a little black mark there. Well. <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating weekend. Anybody got anything else before we disappear and get ready to enjoy these games at the weekend? I want to have a quick game of guess who has said this today. Okay. If you all. This quote says, do I, th- do I still think I can play? Of course. Can I play at a high level? Yeah, the highest. I think I can win MVP again in the right situation. Right situation, is that here or somewhere else? I'm not sure, but I don't think you should shut down any opportunity. Like I said, during the season, it's got to be both sides actually wanting to work together moving forward. That was uh, me earlier. I'll I'll take the blame for that. Yeah, I think I think that's the one and only Karen Rogers. <laughs> okay. Any other opening gambits? I I, I, I was being flippant, but maybe no <laughs> ex Grossman. It's J.K. Dobbins, obviously. <laughs> you know, uh, who who also brilliantly said that they would have won if they'd given him the ball, and they would have won if Lamar had been played. So. <laughs> You know, hey ho. With the benefit of hindsight, probably not wrong. Well, if Lamar had played when he's hurt, I don't think they would have any success. But, um, but no, it's Aaron Rodgers, absolutely. So after throwing for his fewest yards of the season, in which he played at least ten games, um, Rodgers has said he could still play at an MVP level. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know what he'd, he's saying. He, he's, you know, he's had the most number one picks ever in his team this year and he couldn't get it done so I just yeah, I don't know what he's talking about one of his I, more lucid statements to be fair yeah he <laughs> did I, I am absolutely buzzing for another five months of this every, <laughs> every every Monday or Tuesday on Pat McAfee show uh, every well, Tuesday goes on on a Tuesday so it's every maybe, Tuesday tune in yeah. on YouTube and your uh, channel of choice the fantastic I, Pat McAfee show. If you're listening, Pat, we'd love a chat. Pat would chat. A chat with Pat. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I need to go to my bed. 
probably getting so pulled up by HR once they hear this episode. Yeah, exactly. How, <laughs> how about this before we finish? You could look at, in theory, you could have Rogers, Brady, and Lamar Jackson all playing somewhere else next year. That would be fascinating. Absolutely I, fascinating. I, I'm entirely in two minds on Lamar as well. Like, I, it's really tough because the Ravens are a really good organization at not. Like, we're talking about this stuff that Roger's saying. Lamar Jackson will post some cryptic stuff on his Instagram. Like, he would have been a big MySpace fan back in the day. Um, But, like, there's not much that comes out from the organization. So I've got no idea if there's genuine issues there or if he got hurt and he's frustrated and frustrated without having a new contract and it all gets fixed. But if, if you can get... So... I did an article on PFF today for like what are some of the trades you could get. And if he went to Houston and you got two 12 first round pick next year and a second and a third round pick, which is not that ridiculous when you compare it to Deshaun Watson and the off field things there, then the Ravens are a good enough organization to rebuild around a rookie quarterback. So, but my preference is still. Like I find, I find myself entertaining the idea of trading Lamar Jackson for a rebuild, right up until the point that I see two minutes of Lamar Jackson highlights, and then I'm like, ah. "But <laughs> what do you do if you're offered the fifth, the twentieth, the thirty-eighth in this in this year, and next year's first round pick from Seattle?" I'd probably take it. What? So I would take it on the basis that... And so, they give you Gino. No, I don't, I don't care about Gino. Like, just, <laughs> just take a quarter, take a quarterback at five. But we, we, we don't talk about Gino. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so the Lamar thing, I think, is as simple as the, the contract breakdowns. It doesn't come down to he wants a fully guaranteed contract and the Ravens aren't willing to do that. Like, if you can't bridge that gap, then trade him, get three firsts and other picks or potentially other players. If you can bridge that gap or you think, bugger it, we saw seven games of Tyler Huntley and Anthony Brown this year, we're going to pay him four years guaranteed. I, I do wonder if there's a world whereby they do fully guaranteed, but it's a three-year deal. Like and that way he gets it fully guaranteed. He gets to hit free agency again at twenty eight or something like that. But he can get fifty million a year over three years. I just don't think it's that easy to push that cap number further down. But there's there's worlds where that might work. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting. Um, I I just I see Seattle as being a team that will come and have that conversation. I think Pete Carroll would wet himself with excitement at having a quarterback that can run like Jackson. That's that's actually just down to age, not excitement. All right, okay. <laughs> you can get tablets for it. That's a good thing, Pete. Don't worry about that. You you just rest rest well and you know get a ticket, go to Thailand, do something like that. Just relax over the next few weeks. Now you've been knocked out, so. Go for it. Um, this Seahawks section has been brought to you by Tenor for Men. When you throw it from the two. Right. Um, anything else that we need to cover? No, I think it's wind-up time. 
I think this is enough. Well done for making it. This. Actually, it's not because, do you know what we've not done? We've not talked about our award nominations. So we're going to do this super quickly, right? Because there's not a huge amount of people that have been nominated. We've already talked about what our highlights have been. I will go through the nominations, though. There's quite a few. So there's a few for Brock Purdy. Dak Prescott gets a couple. Daniel Jones, Doug Peterson, all of them get a nomination. Uh, there's one nomination for Josh Allen. Which, given uh, what we said about him, I will read. Jason, who is the Bills fan, said, Cam collected and under control the Josh we love. Sugar-free, 352 yards and three touchdowns, leading the Bills to a thrilling win over a divisional rival, the Dolphins. And an honourable mention to OC Ken Dorsey, recognising a likely Finn's game plan to contain Josh Allen. He set him free to throw deep, and throw deep he did. Um, Miami then get one. Uh, afterwards for being expected to lose, but uh, didn't. Sam Hubbard gets uh, a nomination, the Jags, Trevor Lawrence, and then a general wildcard weekend. So first of all, gentlemen, who is our Loch Lomond belter of the wildcard weekend? Doug Peterson for me. Coaching properly. Can't beat it. Daniel Jones. First to go over 300 through the air. Over 75 with his legs, two touchdowns, no interceptions, um, and win the game um, in playoff history. Dable. Right right team, I think. the. I just think he's done a tremendous job. I think, Cameron, I'm not going to lie, the way you flicked your tongue there, I was saying that was really, really worrying and off-putting. <laughs> That's my thinking tongue. Um, I, that, that has been the worst line of the podcast <laughs> ever. Um, I get casting vote. Oh, I, I do you know what? There's great cases for them all, but I'm because yeah, I'm going to give it to Daniel Jones. I I think Dable Peterson absolutely head coaches, brilliant. But do you know what? Jones was the one actually out there doing it. So it's only because of that, of the three put forward, I elevate Mr. Jones. Congratulations, Daniel Jones. Let's raise a glass. You're not only through to the divisional round, but you're the Loch Lomond Belter of the week. So I'm just thinking that that, that line that you just came out with was probably belongs in a Harry Potter novel that got taken out. That's my thinking tongue, said Harry. <laughs> <laughs> We, we should get people to write in with what the, the novel, the Harry Potter novel should be I'm called. Not, that I'm not reading that. that fanfic version of Harry Potter, sorry. <laughs> That's my thinking tongue. And on that happy note, thank you for listening. No, we've got we've got a bifid to do, quickly. We've got a quick bifid to do, because I have to give Jason some credit. We talked about his nomination for Belter for Josh Allen. Uh, Jason's also nominated Josh Allen for Bowfin. Crazy Josh, out of control with so many horrible plays. Two interceptions, three fumbles and seven sacks. And an honourable mention for his partner in crime, O.C. Ken Dorsey. What the fuck, Ken? Get some control over your quarterback, for fuck's sake. He's right. He's right. That is, <laughs> it's the best. That is this season, that is the best set of Belter and Bowfin nominations because it absolutely nails it. That's exciting. Yep. Absolutely. Well done. Right. A quick other nominations. Brandon Staley gets a whole load. Brett Mayer only gets one. How's that? Um, first half, Trevor Lawrence. Second half, LA Chargers. Which I'm sure Stephen, uh, Steve Brexit was that gave that. I'm sure he gave that the flip on the other one as well. Um, 
Some, I love, honestly, keep your nominations coming. It's brilliant content. Joey Bosa gets one. What an absolute weapon of a boy. He starts Paddy <laughs> Kelly. Brilliant. Did, did, um, you see, did you see his claim? I know we're, I know we're running out. Did you see his claim after, or like today, was about how the officials are probably in the back having a beer talking about like, oh yeah, we flagged that effing idiot or that effing asshole uh, 15 yards, blah, blah, blah. Like, Joey, they don't care that much. You lined up in the neutral zone. <laughs> um, The Jags gets one. What was that first half about? Tom Brady gets one. Tyler Huntley gets one. Um, But yeah, right. That's, Who's that's our- harsh, by the way. Huntley, like, as much as the Ruth of Fumble was bad, He's a backup quarterback who is like not even a great backup quarterback. He did all right. Yeah. Um, it, it was a closer game than we thought it was going to be. That, yeah, that play was just wild. Um, John Harbaugh gets one. What's Harbaugh done this time? Clock management is key in the fourth quarter, especially in that final two-minute drill, and it shouldn't be taking 30-plus seconds to get a playoff. Left Huntley with too much to do, not enough time to do it. So that so I, they said this on air, and I think they got it wrong because it was deliberate. So if you if what ruined that drive was the holding call on the draw when they were at the eighteen yard line. Otherwise, they've got plays from the eighteen yard line with thirty seconds to go. They wanted to have that ball go into the end zone with two three seconds left and go for two. That was their plan. I, like they, they've not came out and said that, but that's a hundred percent their plan. So they were deliberately running down the clock because they didn't want to score with thirty seconds to go and let Burrow go up and score a uh, put them in position for a game winning field goal. And it just backfired a bit. Yeah, but I mean, you're playing my backup quarterback, so yeah. you know. Fine. Uh, okay, who's our Bowfin winner this week? Last thing that we'll do before we pick a winner of a bottle of whiskey. It has to be the kicker. Come on, it can't be anybody else. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with Mark. Yeah. Brett Mayer, you get our Bowfin. He's now going to score the game-winning field goal just to kick me in the balls. Right. Uh, I need a number between 1 and 27. Gordon, seeing as you turned up late, you don't get to do it. Uh, Paul, you're on first. You can pick this week. Uh, number 13. Number 13, lucky for some. Uh, lucky for Brian Morris. Congratulations, Brian. You win a, a exclusive bottle of Stramash Loch Lomond whiskey. Now, the very last thing we need to do before we go, we still have tickets available for our events in Glasgow on the 27th of January and Edinburgh on the 29th with Dante Hall. Please check them out on our social media channels. It's a good crowd that's coming along, but let's fill the place out. It's going to be an evening of NFL chat. It's off the record. There's going to be some tasty conversations. We've got Scott Cooper from the Scottish Claymores coming along as well to Glasgow. Uh, Edinburgh. We've got loads going on there as well. There's loads of prizes. There's more chat. It's different chat. If you're going to Glasgow content, but there are going to be different events. Then we're going to sit down and watch the games together. It's going to be glorious. We're going to be watching Jamie's uh, Giants up against my 49ers. Can't wait. What a thriller. Um, come, come along and join us. We'd love you to do so. But that is the full-time whistle for episode 219 of Stramash. Follow us across all our social media channels and we'll be back again next week after what we hope are four brilliant games for Jamie, for Gordon, for Cameron and myself. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.